This is The Playbook. Welcome to Office Hours. I'm David Meltzer. Since we're in Las Vegas at the Blue Wire studio filming this unbelievable season with the unbelievable hosts and hostesses that we have, I decided to bring a legend of Las Vegas. And there's nobody bigger in Las Vegas than Tony Brown. Tony Brown, welcome to Office Hours. Well, I'm good to be here. I, you know, I, before I met you a few weeks ago via Zoom, everybody told me how important this uh, Zoom call with you was and, and to be on guard, and I was so nervous. And then I, after it was all over with, I thought, He's a brother. He's okay, man. Yeah, the, I, <laughs> I felt the same way. You're friendly. I know, we're, and we're going to meet in Las Vegas or in Nashville, but, uh, you know, you this guy's so humble. You would never know everything that he has done from being president of the amazing MCA Records in Nashville. But the thing that blows me away is just this resurgence of legends bringing awareness to the people behind the people. So take like a Rick Macy. Uh, Serena Williams and Venus is Williams coach who I get blessed to be around and learn lessons from. In the same week, I become friends with Rick Macy, who also I was nervous, and then Tony Brown pops up, you know, via Zoom, and I'm like, where has this guy been all my life? Uh, Tony, how much have you learned about um, greatness by being around greatness to the point where you became the greatness? Because I think Rick Macy, myself, and Tony Brown, we've always been behind the greatness, you know, working with Elvis, and George Strait, and Reba. You know, it doesn't get any bigger than Elvis, as we saw even from the movie. But how much do you think being around that type of person has elevated you to be that type of person? Well, you know, it's weird. It's a weird question because to me, I still think I haven't quite made it yet, you know, and, and I've always thought, if you hang around people that are better than you, more talented than you, you'll just get better. And I found that to be true. I, I just found that the more, the bigger the artist, uh, the more was required of me and I rose to the occasion, I just got better. The, the big test to me was one time, about six years ago, I got called to come out and produce a Barbara Streisand track. And I thought it was a, I was being punked by one of my friends, <laughs> but it was Jay Landers who is her day-to-day -day person. And, and, and I said, why would Barbara Streisand want me to come produce a song on her? And it was all boiled down to a song that James, her husband had played her on one of their first dates. It was a George Strait song. And uh, it, it's a, it was a kind of a song that cabaret type song, Texas swing kind of thing. And uh, it made sense. She could sing it. And so she wanted to cut that. Uh, and so I went out and did it. And I thought I would be like freaked out and nervous. But, you know, at that point, I had worked with enough important people like Vince Gill and Reba and Straight and stuff. I knew what to do. I, 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 knew, my, I knew my job. And I hired a great rhythm section, a great engineer, had a great song. And she walked in and, and it just went like clockwork. And uh, and I'd always heard she was hard to work with. And when she left, I said, she was so sweet. And one of the musicians had the nerve to say, oh, it's probably because you're from Nashville. I'm like, oh, is that a sideways 
diss or a compliment. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, I've always heard Southern people. We're just we're just nice. We're we're nice people. You are a nice person, and so is Glenn Lundy, by the way. Hey, uh, Mr. Tony Brown, appreciate you being here. And it sounds like you got a lot of people in your camp that are warning you of all of, of all these people, and then you just warm them over, right? You just warm them well, over with know, that Southern hospitality. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so it's. I've done this for so long, and now at the at this point in my career, there's not as many interviews as there was from '89 to '97 when I was doing like ten or eleven major stars and having big, big hits. And for a moment there, thought I was a genius. Didn't realize that I was lucky. Uh, but uh, now that I'm at this point in my career, I really uh, realize how important this kind of thing is, you know. And, and it, this is what's hard for me. Doing a, an interview is harder than cutting a record. <laughs> the cutting a record comes, because, comes naturally to you, right? I tend to ramble, you know. I just, yeah. I just ramble and... I get off, too many off stories. Course. Yeah, lots too of many stories. stories. Well, Tony, let me let me ask you a question. Since you've worked with all of these legends, and obviously music has changed, the way we use certain instruments has changed, uh, but you've worked with legends of the past, and you're still working with legends today. And so, I was curious is I was cu curious from your perspective, what would you say is the difference between some of the legends from the '70s, '80s, '90s? versus the legends that are coming out here in 2020? Well, that's, that's a kind of a loaded question because I really believe my favorite music is 80s and 90s music, and that goes for country and pop music. And I want, I'll use pop as a genre that includes hip-hop, R&B, rock and roll, whatever. Sure, sure. So pop music is not country music. <laughs> country yeah. music is... Two categories. Country music that tends to cross over... Uh, and becomes mainstream. But I think the difference is uh, I hear a lot more new artists that have big hits, but uh, they seem as they have 15 minutes of fame and they're gone. And, and from 89 to 97, uh, that's 89 is when in Nashville we have a thing called a class of 89. That's when Travis Tritt, Vince Gill, Brooks and Dunn, Faith Hill, Shania Twain, Clint Black, Garth Brooks, all surfaced in like a period of two years and their careers they're they're already turning into legacy artists and i, I in pop music and in country music i don't see that happening a lot i mean right now in nashville i think the closest to that that we have now would be maybe uh morgan wallen seems to be having that kind of uh impact on country music and Luke Combs, uh, Marion Morris, but there's not like 10 or 12. I mean, back in 89, there were like 10 or 12 artists. Every label had three or four artists that were selling two or three million records on every album. I mean, in 89, my first record on George Strait sold six million. My first record on Winona sold six million. My first on Reba sold three. And now when I read that uh, the number one country record album this past week was by some artists, and it says that the sales were equivalent to 40,000 records to be a number one record. In wow. 89, to be a number one country album, you had to sell 300,000 records to be number one. So that's why streaming has changed everything. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, 
You, you don't have to have, the labels don't create the stars. I mean, the labels are creating stars back then. Right. And right. Uh, I mean, a lot of these artists, like the artists that are nominated for the top five new artists in the Grammys this year, I don't know if I know most of them. <laughs> you know, Tony, that actually was going to be He's my like, question. How how has influencers and YouTube impacted the music industry? Oh, like you're so of- much because, you know, it's like used to, it was ears first and eyes second. Mm. Mm. And now it's eyes first on TikTok. And then if they like, you know, and I, I'm trying to figure out what the ticket is that makes fans gravitate like Billie Eilish supposedly had a billion streams on bad guy before she was ever signed to Interscope. Where did those billion, how did those billion people find that song and how did it get that big that quick? So uh, that's, that makes me feel like I'm, I'm old school for sure. Because back when I was with MCA for 25 years, we strategized how to break an artist, you know, get the press, get the hit song, send them out on a radio tour, uh, get them on some TV shows like the late night shows, which don't seem to have the impact they used to have, like being on uh, Tonight's show had a big impact. Then you get on Letterman, it'd have an impact. Now those things don't seem to have the impact they used to have. It no, seems have like streaming. And- That's right. right. That's right. right. <laughs> get them over here. And then you get people like-, like Tony Brown nervous to come on off the <laughs> But, you know, all I, all I can say is I'm glad I was sitting in my seat when I was because I really believe those were the golden years in, in Nashville and actually in all of music because if you look back in the 80s and 90s in pop music and in country music and in hip-hop, man, there's a lot of big legacy artists that were created during that time that, that have had, you know, 20-year 20, 20 careers. And, and are like, they, they, they have hit records and they become hit artists. Then they become so big, they become celebrities. You know, like uh, Reba is past the point of just being a country music artist. She's a music superstar and she's also a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's on Big Sky now as an actor, you know. So uh, it, it's a lot's changed. I'm having to sort of to change with it. And I still am making records, but... Uh, I'm having to approach it a little bit different because the kind of songs that seem to make an impact quickly with the listeners is not what it used to be. It was usually a hook. A hook was usually the chorus, right? The big sing-along chorus. And, uh, but now it's like, a lot of times I think it's the lyric. Like A, B, A, B, C, D, F, U. That's what, that's the hook, right? Every little teenage girl. <laughs> Every little teenage girl and guy goes, ah, that's me, man. I agree with that. <laughs> and uh, he stopped loving her today and titles like that, or I still believe in you, just don't cut it. So I'm having to adapt to, I want to be forever young as long as I can. <laughs> yes, this is this is great. I, um, I actually work with a lot of influencers and newer people who are, are getting famous on Instagram and YouTube. And they don't really know how to take the fame and the attention that they're getting. Or like the negative comments. A lot of people are getting a lot of negative comments on their pages just because people are haters or mean. What would you say, because you moved around with a lot of famous people with a lot of opinions, what would you say to those kids and those people who are coming up in the music industry? And they get to hear these comments every single day on their feed. I mean, they're 
they're not hearing them you know, out around. They're just, they can read them all day long. What would you say to them to stay positive and keep their eye on the prize? I, I, would, I would say, you know, you really almost have, and don't take this wrong, but there's a difference between confidence and arrogance, but you almost have got to have just a little bit of confidence to the point of your arrogant to just let it roll off your back. Because otherwise, there, there's going to be haters. You know, uh, it's always been that way. People want to tear down the people that uh, are doing so good. I remember when Garth Brooks came along, I was producing, you know, George Strait, Vince, and Winona and stuff. And his records kept knocking my songs out of the top ten. <laughs> and so I hated him. <laughs> and, I, and I realized... The reason I hated him is I was jealous. It was nothing more than that, just yeah. jealousy. And so I think haters, sometimes it's really weird because social media is so uh, in real time. I mean, you know, I was on a plane one time behind Leanne Rhymes back when she was, first started uh, having the rumors about dating the, uh, the guy that she's married to now. I was behind her in first class on American Airlines, and she had a, a pile of Trash mags, people, us, inquire. And I was going, I wondered if those artists read those things. And she was reading them. And I was going, oh, my God. But, you know, you're talking about influencers that are, that are on uh, Instagram and all that stuff. They're seeing it, like, in real time, just over and over. I think you have to have a, you have to believe in yourself. If there ever was a moment you have to believe in yourself, that's when you do it. And somebody asked me one time, said, what does it take to be a good A&R person at a record label? An A&R person stands for artist and repertoire. Basically, we're the people that sign the acts, find the songs for the artists, and make them stars. And, and somebody said, what does it take to be a good A&R person? I said, when you love something so much and nobody else in the building will, likes it, you just got to think that they're stupid and you're right <laughs> and you gotta prove, yes. you gotta prove them wrong you know and i i had several artists uh there's a girl named patty loveless that i signed the mca in 85 and it took me three albums to finally have a platinum album and uh you know with these record deals the first time an option comes up it's the label's choice to pick it up and for three more records that kind of thing after the third album, we finally had a platinum album, and nobody in the label still believed in her the way I did. I thought she was the greatest thing. And so uh, Columbia Records, before Sony bought CBS, wanted to sign her, so I went to the label and said, why don't we let Patty go to Columbia? They love her, and the, nobody here really likes her but me. And, and the label said, sure. So she went to CBS and started, she won, the next year she won Album of the Year, Single of the Year, Female Artist of the Year. Wow. And I was sitting at the CMA Awards next to Zach Horowitz, the president of MCA, the whole label. And he knew I had let her go to Columbia. And these, all these records were on Columbia. And he says, I will never forgive you for doing that. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> Success. And then, oh. and to this, to this day, Patty Lellis and her husband, Thank me that I that I took her side and I let I let her fly, you know, and uh and I'm glad I did that because she became a bigger artist and I don't know I just I love helping artists out. I love having hits myself, but boy I love have having a friend helping a friend 
get a record deal or have a hit, whatever. I just love, I love this business. I just love people being able to, to, to uh, share their art with the world. And sometimes you can participate in it and sometimes you can't. <laughs> your wisdom goes beyond your years and the experience that you have. We uh, also have Tony's life in print. So uh, we literally would need a 12 hour mini series just to get through. We didn't get to Elvis. <laughs> we didn't get through the books. We didn't get to half of the stories. Uh, but that's what Office Hours is about because luckily we have multiple seasons of this show and I know who's coming back to tell us more stories to give us more lessons and more wisdom next time in person though because this is one of those people that you all and i need to meet we need to have a drink and pick out some really good songs and hang out with tony brown thank you tony brown for hanging out with us legendary music producer lifetime achievement award winner one of my newest and best friends we are on the same frequency once again in our neighborhood of office hours Tony, thank you so much for taking the time for being with us. I look forward to the next time I see you. Thank you so much, David. And next time I want to come out there because the lighting is so much better when you guys are <laughs> You look good. I want to look a lot better. I want to be in that little group right there. All right, I'll make you a host. There, Get our teams together. Tony Brown's going to be a host of, of, of the show. We'll thank get you so much, here. David. Thank you, Tony. You're good for close thing. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're beautiful. Thank you so much, everyone. You're beautiful as well here on Office Hours.